0: the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. All right, I'm going to try to
2: get through this. Uh, I'm suffering from allergies uh, big time today, so bear with me. I'll do the best I can.
1: Also, I think we have the, the new member of the fam, the guinea pig. Uh, I'm
2: wondering if that's adding to the issue a little I'm bit. I'm sure I,
1: it doesn't help, mm. but she's here now, Yeah, and that's the way it's going to be.
2: Yeah, I'll suffer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love her too much. You remember a, a while ago... I was telling you about Kat and how she would hang her bras on the doorknob of the bathroom. And I got trapped in there because the door got jammed. The bra got caught in the lock. And I was trapped in there. I thought, you know, I was going to have to eat soap.
1: It was a really big issue because that was an expensive bra and the fabric was snagged.
2: Well, she's still hanging her bras on the doorknob. and and, where they go. And now it's affecting the livelihood of our beloved pets. (laughs)
1: If Willie would wait until the door was completely open, <laughs> it wouldn't be an issue. But he tries to squeeze through as soon as I'm opening it, and sometimes there's a there's a yeah. bra arm hole. What's that called? Strap. Yeah. Bra strap. Yeah. Um in the way.
2: <clears throat> I was sitting on the couch doing a little research for one of our upcoming episodes, and I hear him in the bedroom going. Mm. 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 You know, the little noise he makes when he wants a treat. Apparently, it's also a little noise he makes when he wants to stop being strangled by one of your brassiers.
1: He wasn't being strangled. He was just trapped.
2: (laughs) Well, we freed him and he's fine. So that's all that matters. (laughs) That's where they go. I'm going to start hanging my dirty underwear on the light switch.
1: Well, that's weird. Okay. First (laughs) of all, my bras are not the same thing as the fabric that cups your balls. (laughs) That's not even a fair comparison. It's
2: fabric that cups your breasts.
1: Yeah, my breasts are a lot nicer than your balls.
2: Okay, yeah, I I would much rather look at your breasts than my balls.
1: I mean, let's let's not try to compare (laughs) my bra with your underwear. Thank you. The end. I think... Next episode.
2: Well, I think that's sexist.
1: It's in no way sexist. I also have underwear... That goes on my downstairs bits that I don't hang off of door handles. If you had a bra, then I would encourage you to hang it on a doorknob. It's
2: where it goes. You know, um, it's funny you mention that. I'm pretty close to needing one. (laughs) (laughs) So, my love, you go first today.
1: I do. You do. Okay. Okay. I saw a headline earlier this week, and it made me freak out a little bit, and so I've been doing some reading, and I thought, hey, we can talk about this, but I do want to give you fair warning. If you are one of those uh, people um, who don't think that animal stuff is interesting, skip away, because this is animal stuff, and I'm not going to stop talking about it.
2: Are they odd animals? No. Are they evil sea bass? (laughs)
1: One of Australia's foremost environmental organizations has declared koalas as functionally extinct, and they are calling on the Australian government to take action. So what does functionally extinct mean?
2: What does that mean?
1: Right. Okay. because I saw that and I started to freak out. So I did some research. Functional extinction, according to Wikipedia, is the extinction of a species or other taxon such that, one, it disappears from the fossil record or historic reports of its existence... Two, the reduced population no longer plays a significant role in ecosystem function. Or three, the population is no longer viable. There are no individuals able to reproduce or the small population of breeding individuals wouldn't be able to sustain itself due to inbreeding depression and genetic drift, which leads to loss of fitness in the species. Gotcha. Okay. So the Australian Koala Foundation not long ago issued a report warning that there were only 80,000 koalas left on the continent and that there weren't enough breeding adults to support another generation of the marsupial. The press release by AKF noted that even though the Australian government launched an inquiry into the declining population of koalas in 2011, almost no legislation has been passed to protect the species in the past years. What's
2: happening to the koalas?
1: So they only live in Australia, and it is the only living representative I want to say representative, and yet I feel like there's too many titas in my tita.
2: No, your, your tittas are great.
1: Thank you. It is the only living representative of the family that they came from. The scientific name, which is longer and more...
2: Difficult to say than representatives.
1: I was going to say there are, there are too many letters in it. I but got it. It's, I got uh, it loosely means ash gray pocket bear.
2: <laughs> okay. Which
1: is the best... <laughs> Name for any animal ever.
2: So a couple of zoologists sitting around smoking a blunt going, we got to come up with a name for this.
1: It does sound like um, one of those memes that they have, like uh, danger noodle yeah. for snake and you know that kind of thing. Anyway, uh, so the closest living relative to the koala is the wombat. Uh, they are found in coastal areas of mainland's eastern and southern regions, and um, and they're they're quite easily recognizable. I would say that they are one of the world's favorite animals. Oh, like yeah. If you asked kids, like, what's your favorite animal? A good percentage of them would say koalas.
2: And the teddy bear was modeled after a koala bear.
1: I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. Uh, and I thought
1: they were modeled after Teddy Roosevelt. Well, they
2: were named after Teddy Roosevelt.
1: But not modeled after them, no. him? No.
2: As far as I know, we've never had a marsupial as a president. As far as I know.
1: Anyway. Ash gray pocket bear. Um, so according to mental floss, this is one of the issues that we're seeing now, fifty to ninety percent of female koalas have chlamydia.
2: Okay. Those cute little bears mm-hmm. that teddy bears are modeled
1: mm-hmm. from. Yep.
2: That children snuggle up to in bed every night have yep. chlamydia. Yep. Teddy bear has chlamydia.
1: They're just S T D riddled, spreading <laughs> their business everywhere. Oh my God. Yep. Uh, The symptoms are chest infections, conjunctivitis, and according to mental floss, wet bottom, which looks exactly like you would imagine. Mm -hmm. And it can be fatal unless treated with antibiotics, and it leaves some of the koalas sterile. Oh, my God. So with that number of them suffering from chlamydia and chlamydia leading so many to be sterile, you can see how that's part of an issue, Um, as well as the fact that they only
2: eat eucalyptus. It's like me, but with me, it's Pringles.
1: That's right. Koalas are very picky, and they tend to choose around 30 of the 600 varieties of eucalyptus trees that are out there. So there's 600 types of eucalyptus. They only eat 30, and it's partially got to do with toxins. So eucalyptus, many, uh, are very toxic, and uh, if koalas ate them, they would be in a bad place. Uh, But they are able to smell the difference between the toxic eucalyptus and the not-toxic eucalyptus, which is pretty cool when you think about it.
2: So if they eat the wrong kind of eucalyptus, does it give them a wet bottom? Soggy bottom. What did you call it? Nobody wants a soggy bottom. A Great British baking show reference.
1: <laughs> All right. So uh, the toxic, though, and not toxic trees can grow right next to each other. So they can mix them up. But they're, overall, they're pretty good at it. Eucalyptus, though, not a great source of calcium, which koalas do need. So some koalas have to go to the ground and eat dirt to get their calcium which is not great. It's not a great, like, setup for success. That is
2: not a well-balanced diet. No. Eucalyptus leaves and dirt.
1: Yeah. No, it sounds like me when I lived by myself.
2: Um, (laughs) That's right. Eating beans from a can on a knife, like a hobo.
1: (laughs) Refried beans and Waldorf salad. Mm-hmm.
2: And whatever else you could find. She used to go to, like, funeral receptions that she wasn't even invited to. Uh, just to take the leftover food. They've
1: always got leftovers.
2: Sure, I was starving.
1: You cannot blame me for that.
2: <laughs> no, I don't blame you. I I salute your ingenuity.
1: Thank you. Deforestation, a huge problem. Um, predators, of course, an issue. They're also really susceptible to bacteria and other things that can affect, especially the babies, in their pockets.
2: Yeah, well, they're eating dirt, so.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the really interesting things that I've learned recently about koalas is that they have fingerprints almost identical to human fingerprints. What? To the point where trained CSIs... With the help of a microscope, Mm -hmm. can't tell the difference. Wow.
2: For you freaks listening in Australia, if you want to get away with a murder, first, you need a koala bear.
1: I think that's pretty much a rule for anything.
2: (laughs) No matter what it is you're doing. Do you want to
1: be a successful banker? You need a koala bear. So obviously,
2: koalas are not bears. Obviously? I mean, they kind of look like bears.
1: According to Europeans who don't know anything. So when Europeans first came to Australia, they thought that koalas looked like bears. So they started calling them koala bears, mm-hmm. even though Australians kept saying, no, they're, they're koalas. They're just
2: koalas. And they're
1: like, right, koala bears. And they're like, no, no.
2: It's like us with the Native Americans.
1: You're you, Indians, you right? You guys are
2: Indians, right? No, no, no. We, we were here first. Indians it is.
1: All right. That's it forever. Anyway, not bears, marsupials. But koalas are not the only non-humans with fingerprints. Close human relatives, such as chimps and gorillas, have them as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But koalas are kind of like that weird outlier that are like, oh, yeah.
2: We can do that too. Sure. Uh
1: Cool. According to biologist Christine Adams Hosking of the University of Queensland, who has studied... uh, Koalas for some time, she says there's not a danger of them going extinct overall, but at the rate of habitat clearing that's going on, uh, we are going to, quote, see increased local population extinction. As their habitats dwindle, yes, in certain spots, they will cease to be able to survive.
2: But there is a conservation effort underway. There is. A a population breeding program, I'm sure.
1: There is. But the species is thought to be doomed in long term because of the loss of genetic diversity.
2: Mm. See, here's where cloning might be a good idea.
1: Or we could just stop cutting down trees all the time. Like... Why would cloning be beneficial in any way if we're just going to starve them?
2: Well, I like cutting trees down. I'll often do it just for amusement.
1: Not a lot of eucalyptus trees around here, though.
2: I know. I've been busy.
1: (laughs) 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 All right, but... (laughs) (laughs) So some local populations of koalas are indeed heading toward functional extinctions, but according to Adams Hosking, Australia being such a big place, there are koalas all over the place, and in some groups are doing fine. She estimates that there are actually around 300,000 koalas, rather than the 80,000 referenced by the AKF. So as we mentioned, climate change is having a big impact, causing uh, some populations to decline by 80%, which is nuts. Koalas, like many animals, are very specialized to their environment. So even if it changes a little bit, it's a big deal. And you've seen the videos of the koalas going up to firefighters asking for water or the bikers stopping on the path to give koalas water from their water bottles. And these wild animals are like, yeah, okay, I'll drink your water.
2: Can I just point out um, that Kat is actually tearing up while she's saying this?
1: I'm not. Anyway... Urbanization, also a big issue. Uh, Wild bushland areas that are now residential areas have pushed koala habitats back and back and back till they don't have a place to live, to eat, etc. Since European settlement, Australia has lost 80% of koala habitat to deforestation.
2: Wow. Wow. And, you know i've never been to australia Mm -hmm. i'm dying to go we've talked about this this is one of our goals one of our bucket list items Mm -hmm. go to australia but my impression as you know a silly american boy is that everything looks like either sydney you know a big city or the outback from crocodile dundee right that's it
1: we're we're not well versed in australia
2: that's all there is right uh, also, birds that will steal your stuff, and dingoes that will steal your babies, allegedly. Well, that's what I heard.
1: Um. So koalas functionally extinct? Question mark. But we do know that the koala is listed as vulnerable to extinction under the Biodiversity Conservation Act of 2016, and there is a an effort to mirror the Bald Eagle Conservation Act uh, from mm-hmm. in the states. Mm-hmm. With koalas, because there was such success here in reviving the population of our bald eagles, um, they're really mirroring the legislation that they're pushing through or hoping to get pushed through on that. But with koalas, obviously different issues, different
0: sure, space, but, sure. but
1: overall the same kind of idea, which is kind of nice thinking like, hey, we did something good. Good. Yeah. We did a good thing. We and did, yeah. other countries are saying, like, they did that good thing mm-hmm. and we want it to be like them. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if you are interested in learning more about koalas and how to assist in the conservation effort, uh, really koala conservation. Google it. There are lots of groups that are working uh, in their own very specific ways. Uh, You can also get one of those cute little koala care packages from World Wildlife Federation uh, with the the money is going to koala conservation. There are lots of ways to help.
2: Send eucalyptus leaves and chlamydia medication.
1: Though at the rate that the forest is declining, uh, probably if they were all Cured of chlamydia, there would be overpopulation, they ended up starving. So, I mean... Yeah. Yeah.
2: Natural selection. Right. That's
1: mm. a lot like what happened in my hometown.
2: Where they cut all the trees down and the lumber mill went out of business?
1: No, just a lot of chlamydia.
0: Oh. And now, the Box of Oddities brings you that thing in the middle.
2: All right, we're all familiar with the big lobbyist groups like, you know, Big Pharma or the tobacco lobbyists or the insurance company lobbyists. Here are a few lesser-known lobbyist organizations. Number five, the Balloon Council. To educate consumers and regulators about the wonders of foil and latex balloons, they spent about $80,000.
1: I wish they'd stop. The U.S. Association of Reptile Keepers. According to its website, the group spent $20,000 in 2012 lobbying for, quote, miscellaneous issues. <laughs> okay. All That sounds a little sneaky.
2: Number three, the Families Conserving Antiques Lobby. Uh, Three families who own a collection of elephant ivory formed this organization in 2014 to lobby against federal bans on tusk trade. We need more elephant tusks.
1: Sure. Number two. The plant-based foods association which exists to quote ensure a fair and competitive marketplace for businesses selling plant-based foods intended to replace animal products such as meat dairy and eggs
2: and the number one lesser known lobbyist organization the american dehydrated onion and garlic association they're a california-based association that works to ensure that the federal government continues to enforce protections for the domestic industry of dehydrated onion and garlic against cheap imports from China.
1: We don't need no competition in our dried onion business.
0: This is the Box of Oddities. I said Box. On the last episode, I talked about
2: Granger Taylor, mm. the uh, the guy who did a bunch of acid and thought he was going to be picked up by a UFO. Okay, there's much more to the story than that. Sure. Um, but, uh, we had talked about how they never really completely determined what happened to him when he disappeared, that they had found what they called a blast site and there were human bones there six years after he had disappeared Mm -hmm. and twisted steel wreckage, suggesting that, uh, the dynamite that he used to blow up tree stumps may have exploded and killed him out there. However, the metal was pink and not blue. Mm Mm-hmm. Which was the color of the truck he was driving? Right. Got a message from uh, Crystal. Sent us an email, curator at theboxofoddities saying they think they may have solved <gasps> it. Yeah.
1: Oh, is it a very special The Box of Oddities update? It is.
2: Dun, 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 dun.
1: <clears throat> mm, that sounds kind of renaissancey to me. Like we're about to joust. Uh, how about? Mm, Now that sounds like an old creepy man is chasing girls in bikinis around a table. Mm, How about... (laughs) Oh, I like that. Okay.
2: She sent me a link to a CBC article that came out just in February of this year. Uh, The RMCP has identified a piece of the VIN number of the wreckage, identifying it as... Granger Taylor's truck.
1: So Granger Taylor and his truck allegedly both blown up in this blast site that they found six years after he
2: disappeared. Yes, they've determined that now by a piece of the VIN number that they found in the wreckage.
1: I think that sounds suspiciously convenient.
2: In addition to that, they say that the reason the metal was pink is because it had weathered you know, the explosion and then six years exposed to the elements faded it the blue color down to what appeared to be pink. That's the official explanation case closed. According to the RMCP, you're Mm -hmm. not, you're not Mm -hmm. buying it. You're Mm -hmm. not buying it. Mm -hmm. Mm.
1: No, I guess I do. That's, I don't have any reason to argue that
2: (laughs) (laughs) we named that episode, by the way, interstellar grocery shopping on acid. And uh, we received this email from Nate and Maya. Hey, Cat and Jethro, my girlfriend and I are huge fans of the podcast. We were pleasantly surprised when your last episode, Interstellar Grocery Shopping on Acid, popped up on our notifications because we had just begun to feel the effects of the acid we had taken. (laughs) (laughs) We spent the rest of the night attempting to meditate our way into alien abduction. Uh, We're still here. Some things are just meant to be, love, Nate and Maya. Oh, that's so perfect. And this came in just hours after the episode dropped so they were probably still tripping when they wrote that
1: (laughs) i have a friend whose parents always said that they you know were pro experimenting with things and uh you know they grew up in the 60s so there was a lot of stuff about and uh they were it they were willing to try just about anything as long as you didn't have to put it in your eye (laughs) (laughs)
2: My story starts in the summer of 1988 when uh, then three-year-old Heidi Weirich was playing in her backyard in Ellerslie, Georgia. This was the first time she saw the old man and he was standing next to the chimney in the back of the house and he waved to her to come over Mm. and she did. She was three years old.
1: Wait, I'm sorry. Yeah. So she was out in the yard by herself?
2: In the backyard. It was fenced in. But she sees this old man standing in her backyard.
1: Within the fence within in, the
2: fenced in area. Got it. He waves her over and he says to her, There's money buried under that pecan tree. And then he just leaves. What? Over the next few days, he showed up again. And he would take her by the hand. Ugh. I know. Lead her over to the swing that was hanging from a tree, and he would her on the swing where are her parents in the house and they looked out the window and they didn't see anybody out there oh except heidi they would see her walk across the yard toward the swing with her hand up in the air like somebody was holding her hand but there was nobody there the wyricks had moved into this house in Ellerslie, georgia uh they were a young couple when they moved in And uh, Heidi was very, very young at the time, just uh, an infant. And this was the first time they had owned a house. After the move, Heidi started to see this old man in the backyard. Mm. She became friends with this old man. When Heidi told her parents about her new friend, they were, of course, alarmed. Yeah. They're like, hey, uh, no. First of all, what's an old man doing in our backyard? Secondly... Why is he playing with our child? That's when they started watching more closely Mm -hmm. and they would see her out playing in the yard, but nobody would be there. They would see her looking up and talking and listening and just like somebody was there, but there was nobody there.
1: And what, I'm sorry, would you remind me what year is this?
2: 1988.
1: All right. So, okay.
2: They just thought it was an imaginary friend. That makes sense, right? Kids have imaginary friends. And that she had an extremely good imagination. She started calling this guy Mr. Gordy. Okay. Mr. Gordy's coming today. He's going to push me on the swing. Mr. Gordy says there's money buried under that tree. He appeared in the backyard from time to time, according to cool, interesting stuff. At Heidi's very young age, she had no idea. that. I mean, she thought he was real. Right. I mean, she saw him. Mm -hmm. She thought he was real. She said, uh, I saw him up until I was eight years old. On an everyday basis, we would sit and have conversations and then he would take me by the hand and we would go and play on the swing. Her mother said, I would see her out there in the yard and see her hand raised as if holding somebody else's hand. Many times I would hear her talking, but I never heard anybody talk back, says Lisa Wyrick, Heidi's mother.
1: I have a question. Um, When they would lock their child outside for long periods of time by herself, mm-hmm. did they ever go outside with her to see if she ever hung out with Mr. Gordy while they were present? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Please continue.
2: As Heidi got older, more spirits started coming in many different forms, not just human. Animal spirits would show up. Sometimes figures that uh, she said she couldn't even explain what they were. She said... I can sense when it's an evil presence or if it's a good presence. If it's evil, you just have no idea how bad that feeling is, how sick I feel. I've been literally sick to my stomach. Mm. And her mother said, as a parent, you don't know how to deal with these sorts of things. You don't know how to protect her. She'd come back in the house and she'd be so upset because she had encountered something other than Mr. Gordy. Right. Who, you know, made her physically ill. If it was something real, you would know what to do, said uh, Heidi's mother. But I didn't know what to do. Mr. Gordy, not the only visitor at the Wyrick home. One day, they heard a knock at the door. Heidi said it was this weird looking dude who had blood all over him. What? And his arm was all bandaged up. He would keep coming to the door and then just disappearing. Heidi said his name was con 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 and she would say why does con have blood all over him mama
1: that's gonna be a little unsettling as a parent i would think suddenly heidi sleeps downstairs
2: at that point paranormal slash poltergeist types of activities started to to occur in the house they witnessed uh, cabinets and doors opening and closing items moving around the house physical attacks also occurred Her father, Andy, was attacked four nights in a row. It left him with scratches and and gouges, and and Heidi had her hair pulled on a number of occasions. She'd be in bed, and she would just feel somebody pulling her hair. In 1993, Lisa, the mother, became pregnant, and Heidi felt that there was an evil spirit in the house. She'd never been scared of anything, Lisa said. She had not even been scared of Khan. She had never been scared of Mr. Gordy. But then there was this dark figure in the hallway and she was hysterical. So they talked about moving, but the likelihood of Heidi seeing spirits elsewhere came up and they thought, well, you know, if we move, we're, you know, they'll probably just follow us anyway. Let's see what happens. <laughs> cool. So her baby sister Jordan was born February 3rd, 1994. Two weeks later, notice uh, Lisa, the mother, noticed gashes down the front of Heidi's face.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: Now, the father just thought, Maybe she had scratched herself in her sleep. That sort of thing does happen. But two nights later, he woke up with a searing pain and three claw marks going down down his side. This
1: is some Amityville shit.
2: Yeah. It's some weird stuff. Now, when Heidi was a bit older, like high school age, Mm -hmm. she didn't really like talking about this too much. Makes sense. Because the kids were just relentless in their teasing of her. They they would see her in the hallways and they would sing the Ghostbusters theme. Aww. Or they would call her Ghost Girl, but she also had other reasons why, you know, she she wanted to forget forget about this. She would have episodes where she'd wake up and there'd be a pillow over her face and she couldn't breathe and there would be nobody there. While she was in 10th grade, they were riding north on Manchester Expressway, and Heidi said she saw, quote, a big creature, maybe eight feet tall, black and gray with wings, but not but not angel wings. It swooped down and landed on a building near the highway. She said, I didn't see its face. It took its wings and covered its face. No one else in the car saw it but me. Whew. Many years ago, a parapsychologist from the University of Georgia identified what he said were eight spirits at the Wyrick home, he said that there was some sort of a vortex in front of the fireplace where this negative energy was getting through.
1: Kind of like a soft spot between the dimensions? Yeah,
2: that's exactly what is being hypothesized.
1: A la Fringe. Yeah. Asterix!
2: When Heidi's uh, sister Jordan was just a month old, according to uh, Lisa, the mother, a niece was babysitting and checked in on Jordan and discovered... A ribbon with eight knots tied in it and then the ribbon tied tightly around the neck of the baby and the niece cut the ribbon off with scissors and the baby was all right.
1: That's very weird and specific. Eight knots. Now, has it been looked into that possibly Heidi has some mental stuff that she's working through and is projecting her stuff onto this baby like
2: that is certainly something that i would think of but from my understanding according to lisa they have seen some of these things too and that you know there were scratches on the father she says that there is there is evil there okay now interestingly there is a cemetery right outside the house like right on the other side of the fence.
1: Very poltergeisty.
2: Yeah. And that's actually uh, a place that uh, Heidi would see him standing. If he wasn't in the yard, he was standing over in the cemetery.
1: Mr. Gordy? Mr.
2: Gordy. Yeah. Sorry. Lisa also said in the Discovery Channel documentary, A Haunting in Georgia, that in her hometown, she could hear screams and witnessed paranormal instances related to, yes, an Indian burial ground or Native American burial ground. And the Trail of Tears. Hmm. The investigators also came to the conclusion that Heidi's natural ESP mixed with the location and the high energy levels produced a a perfect channel for spirits to communicate through her and others could see them as well, but not as detailed as as she could see them. Sure. Now, who was this Mr. Gordy? Well, according to the book The Veil by Joyce S. Cathy and and, uh, Rebecca S. Harrington, which is about... Heidi Wyrick's story, Okay, there was a guy who was a librarian and he had a number of old photographs of people that lived in that area and he came out to their house. He gave Heidi these photographs and he said, if you see anybody in here that looks familiar, mm-hmm. put the photos aside. She got close to the bottom of the stack of these five by seven photographs and she smiled broadly and she held it up and said, this is my friend, Mr. Gordy. And she pointed to a guy who died in 1972, whose name was James Gordy.
1: Hmm. I mean, that's interesting. Mm. That's a... Hmm.
2: Now, he had been a big landowner, and he had owned the land that their house was built on. Oh. And so that would mean that he probably owned land that was an Indian burial ground or part of the Trail of Tears or... Right.
1: Well, that's interesting. I wonder how a three-year-old would have learned about that man.
2: That's what I'm saying. So that that intrigued them. They talked to one of their neighbors who had been in the neighborhood for a long, long, long time. Mm -hmm. And this neighbor had a huge collection of old photographs of people who had lived in the neighborhood uh, throughout the years. Mm -hmm. So they did the same experiment. They started going through the photos. And she said, that's con And she pointed to a picture from the early 50s mm-hmm. and the neighbor said well his name was lawn lon but his buddies called him con because he was kind of a bad boy his last name was bachelor his name was lawn bachelor he worked up the road at a cotton gin and got his hand caught in the cotton gin and ripped off and he wrapped it in a towel and walked home oh my looking for help And they rushed him to the hospital with blood loss, obviously. It's my understanding that he did not die from that. Mm -hmm. That was obviously probably the most traumatic thing that ever happened to him physically. But he died of, I think, cancer uh, a few years later. But he died in 1954. That's not a very common name.
1: Con? No.
2: (laughs) Well, the fact that his name was Lon and his buddies called him Con.
1: It's it's a little... That's interesting. Yeah. That's what I have to say about that. He
2: was the nephew of one of the neighbors who no longer lived there. Oh. So I guess, you know, he worked at the cotton gin and he got hurt and he walked to his family's, the the closest relative's house.
1: Thanks, Eli Whitney. (laughs) Way to go. (laughs) Right. I'm all right.
2: Heidi still sees spirits. Different ones now. One is of a little girl.
1: I'm sorry. Are we? Did they never dig under the pecan tree to find that money? Come actually, on, actually, let's go.
2: Actually, they they did.
1: Get to the money shot.
2: According to, <laughs> according to the book "The Veil," again by Joyce S. Kathy and Rebecca S. Harrington, um, it said. They started digging at the base of the tree. The equipment was not professional quality and could uh, they had like metal detectors and could only pick up metals in shallow ground. All they found were drink tabs and other metal pieces of no value. Mm -hmm. It was more than possible that there was buried treasure around there because during the Civil War, people hid money when the Yankees were coming. Right. They would would fill up like a chamber pot with uh, their gold and silver and money and then they would bury it. In fact, the neighbor had found one not far from there years before. It was a chamber pot full of Confederate money that had been buried in what was the hog trough or the hog pen of the farm at the time and then never went back and got it either they died right. or forgot or and and there are a lot of stories of people still finding Confederate gold and, and valuables that were buried in plantations when the Yankees were coming through that That's never either so
1: cool either
2: the people that uh, buried it were killed or died of disease or just left and forgot about it so it's very possible that there is something buried there but as of uh, the writing of this book they did not find any but they really didn't do a very concerted effort to uh to dig down. What? I'm... And then she said, if it was money, it probably was Confederate money and would have little or no value. Maybe not monetarily, <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of Confederate gold that's missing. A lot. Let's go. Yeah. Get that metal detector. Yeah. Jump in our RV. Yep. Let's go to Georgia.
1: And yeah. since you know so much about like the Civil War history, you'll know where to look.
2: I'm reading a book right now. Back in the 30s, uh, during the Depression, the Federal Writers Project was a project uh, by the federal government to support writers during the Great Depression by asking them to interview and record uh, stories of experiences of slavery of former slaves. And that's a fascinating book. It's called Dem Days Was Hell. That's what it's called. And over and over and over again, they talk about when the Yankees came the plantation owners would take all their valuables and bury them in the swamp behind the house or in a cow pasture or in a pig pen. That's where, where it would go.
1: That's really interesting.
2: On and on and on. I mean, I, almost every single account that references the Yankees coming through, the um, former slaves that were there said that um, the plantation owners buried their valuables in the woods behind the house.
1: That's fascinating. It really is. I want to see all of that.
2: Me too. Heidi's considered a a world-class psychic, and uh, she helps people with their struggles if they're going through similar situations where they're seeing unwanted visions. Sure. She helps with that. But um, she likes to kind of keep a low profile. She says, most of the time I've learned to keep, keep a lot of it to myself, and I really don't even notice it that much anymore. You kind of get used to it. I bet. She says she's not seen Mr. Gordy for years. However, she continues to see this mysterious dark figure from time to time, as well as numerous other spirits. Uh, Sightings are pretty infrequent. She just kind of takes it in stride now. Sadly, her father, Andrew, passed away in uh, 2012. He was only 45 years old. Oh, wow. She has since moved from that house and now lives in uh, a new house in Columbus, Georgia. She still sees visions over there.
1: So I guess they were right not to move.
2: She lives in that house now with children of her own. I'm wondering if they have visions too.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting.
2: Yeah. And that was featured in a 1994 Unsolved Mysteries as well. You can kind of probably look that up on the youtubes
1: Yes, please.
2: So along with a book and um, cool, interesting stuff, I got some of this information from a local newspaper article Uh, That was published in the Columbus Legend Enquirer.
1: That's really interesting. I think that the experiment with the photos really is is interesting for sure. Um, I need them to find money for them (laughs) for me to buy into it. (laughs) But um... yeah.
2: yeah, that would have been the icing on the cake. Yeah, I found that interesting on so many levels not just the uh, the paranormal element of it and the fact that they were able to apparently verify some of her stories through uh, old photographs, but the idea of buried Confederate gold. Yes,
1: please. Well, I will add uh, them, Dem Days Was Hell to mm-hmm. our Goodreads page, yeah. and um, I'll it's try not, to find the veil as well.
2: It's not a, uh, an easy read. Yeah, put the veil on as well, but it, it's not an easy read, Dem Days Was Hell, because these interviews were taking place in the early thirties during the depression Mm. and well, just read it for yourself. It's not easy to, it's just not easy to read, but it's, it's fascinating.
1: I just wanted to real quick. Thank you so much to P Ken worthy nine, uh, on the Himalaya app. P Ken worthy nine is our first, uh, tipper on and <laughs> yes. i love it yeah, yeah. i was yeah, I they just really activated. appreciate that it's amazing
2: himalaya just activated our tip jar feature and uh we yeah so as of now we have one dollar
1: one dollar yes. thank you thank you
2: appreciate it that's very sweet i love it And don't forget our live show, which will take place the week of Halloween. It's actually a mini Halloween week tour. We're in Boston, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and in Nashville, Tennessee. You can get tickets at theboxofoddities.com.
1: And we hope to see you there.
2: And we look forward to seeing you on Thursday as well. The next Box of Oddities will drop at midnight East Coast time, U.S.
1: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
0: Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.
1: If you're going to commit a crime in Australia, you need a koala <laughs>
2: History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.